Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. We'll turn to Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> Luke chapter 17. This has been, uh, this is of course Thanksgiving week, and as I was seeking the Lord earlier in the, the semester about what to share during this particular Sunday, uh, and I've never done this, I've never done a Thanksgiving sermon on this particular Sunday, and I think it's probably a good appropriate time to do that, to just talk about the importance of gratitude of thanksgiving and why it is such a important virtue to cultivate in our lives. Uh, may of you may have, may have heard there's been a, a pandemic that has kind of captured our country uh, for almost two years. And it has been a very brutal experience. I remember when the pandemic first happened. Some of you will remember we had a... Um, our church had to go to virtual, so we started doing videos, and we did it in our ministry center. And I remember, you know, I'm a very optimistic person. I came out, and I was like, you know, a few years ago, we had a, uh, the 9-11 thing, you know, incident that was like a car wreck. And, and then the uh, economic crash that happened of the, of the 2007, 2008, that was like a, you know, your car broke down. I said, this is just a delay on the traffic. This is just a traffic delay. Oh, pretty soon we're going to, traffic's going to move and we're going to be flying. Don't get too upset. I had no idea what was going to happen for two years. And I was pretty foolish and pretty wrong about how grueling this would be emotionally for us all. Um, you know, we've, 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 we've had uh, civil unrest. We've had bad elections and uh, things that happened that were pretty bad, and we've had, we just had a very contentious time uh, as a people. It's been very up and down. It's been very difficult, and businesses have had a tough time. Economically, it's been difficult. It's been unstable. I know in our church, for me leading, this has been a grueling experience. Lisa and I and our staff have just, you know, we just sort of have to watch feeling sorry for ourselves. I remember the last service we had before the pandemic hit in March. Many of you might have been there. Some of you online may remember this. But we, we were doing a sermon on the series on Philippians. The, the room was absolutely packed. And, and I remember I ended with a story about Cyprian of Carthage and how he handled this pandemic so heroically. And I remember uh, we just... It was just a great service. Everybody was clapping at the end. It was always it was just a fantastic service. And I remember leaving there just thinking, man, we are, we're killing it. And it was such a long, grueling process. For about eight, nine years, our church was loaded with students. It was so hard to pay bills. Now we had had the community come in. We were doing great financially. We had added 98 members to the church the year before. We were doing better than that that year. Things were really going great. We were rolling. We were thinking of beginning some discussions with the owners of the facility we're at about buying that facility. And we were just happening. And I remember just leaving there thinking, great. And it's, I don't know if you've ever done a startup thing. Here's a dynamic with startup anything. Anything you do to begin with. I don't care if you go to grad school, if you go to college, whatever it is, whatever, if you start a business, 
There is a long period of time where you put in in 10 hours of work and you get one hour of results. You guys know what I'm talking about. 10 hours of work, you get one hour result. And then as you go along, you put in nine hours of work and maybe you get three hours of results and it's getting better and you just keep going. Eventually what happens, and it's really awesome, you put in one hour of work and you get 10 hours of results. And that's just a fantastic experience. And that's kind of where we were at, we were moving toward. And so to sort of take a step back, it's just been grueling. And I know I'm not the only one that has had a grueling experience. And our church staff isn't the only ones that have gone through grueling. People have lost their businesses, uh, teachers, restaurant workers, service industry people. There have been some just brutal hits that have gone on. And the natural condition of human beings, this is what we are naturally. We are naturally discontented animals. We're naturally discontented. And that's not necessarily bad because some of that discontentment is why we progress. It's why we grow. It's why we expand. Our nation is the most discontented nation in the history of the world. And we're thus the most innovative but discontentment can be a, a terrible plague on your soul. Terrible plague. I remember years ago, there was a bit that was going around. It was a viral interview where a late-night talk show host was interviewing a comedian. And he was talking about discontentment and what we do. And he goes, you know, it's like, he goes, he, he was talking about how he was with his smartphone and he was sending a text message to somebody, and it delayed for two seconds. And he's like, oh, man, it's a two-second delay. You know, he goes, I am sending a message across the country to somebody in two seconds. And because it takes three seconds, I'm getting irritated. You know, you go fly in an airplane, and you're sitting on this plane, and your flight gets delayed 30 minutes. What do we all do? Well, oh, man, this is a drag. We get so upset. You ever think, and this is what the, the comedian was talking about, like you are flying in a tube across the world at seven or 800 miles. You literally can span incredible distances in very little time, and we are upset because we're having to wait 30 extra minutes for the flight to be executed safely. We're just, we're just by nature a discontent species. We're discontent. And one of the most important things we do as human beings, because it is reality, is to become grateful, not only just to others, and that's very important, to become grateful to those around you that have done for you, but particularly to cultivate gratitude toward God and thanksgiving toward God particularly in difficult times. As we know from American history, the first Thanksgiving was in 1621. We know the story of the Indians and the settlers. They had a terrible winter, almost were wiped out the first year. The second year, God was gracious to them, and they had a, a Thanksgiving. And we know Thanksgiving became a national holiday in 1863. And it was during the Civil War, and it was a great move by President Lincoln because our country was going through horrible, terrific stuff, 
And in the middle of this, this nightmare that America was experiencing called the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be thankful and we're going to make it, we're going to memorialize it by making it a national holiday. Be thankful. Be thankful. And it's something we need to do as human beings to be thankful, particularly toward God. Nothing reinforces the understanding of grace like gratitude. Understanding that God's the one that does it, that he provides our salvation completely and totally. It is all on his back. Nothing does that. The only reasonable response we can have to that kind of an action is to be thankful, is to be grateful. Gratitude is cultivated by the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. We just read this psalm, Psalm 136. It's called the the Hillel, it's called the, the, the song of praise and the song of thanksgiving. And what the writer of that psalm did is he wrote down different things and different attributes and different reasons that the Hebrew people should be thankful to God. And he would close it with this, he would, then he would write the reason down, then he would say, for his love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, the, the God of gods, his love endures forever. Go give thanks to him who is the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And that psalm goes through and it recalls all the great acts of God in their nation and in their history. And he would always end with this phrase, his love. In the Hebrew words, hasid. That means his, his desire, his burning desire to give and bless and be good is never quenched. His love endures forever. What a powerful thing. What an important thing for you and I to memorialize. The God's love, the God's burning desire to bless and to give and to uplift in our life. It, just, it doesn't get quenched by what we do. It doesn't get, get quenched by our failures. It doesn't get quenched by our unhealthy tendencies. His endures forever. It endures through what we're going through and what we're like and what we face. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, excuse me, all throughout the Hebrew uh, poetry and the, the Psalms, over and over again, thanksgiving is called for. Psalmist wrote, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise in Psalm 95. Excuse me, Psalm 100. In Psalm 95, he says, I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. I will extol him with thanksgiving, the psalmist said. I will call to the Lord who answered me. He has become my salvation. Therefore, I will give thanks to him. And the Hebrew people, uh, the, the word for, for thanks meant to remember the good. To remember the good. And through all out Hebrew worship, there was an emphasis that you remember the good. And as we get to the New Testament... The, the Christians had a phrase for, they, they called gratitude to be bound with thanks. To be bound with thanks. To be bound to God. To be bound to each other with thanks. Bonded together with it. Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul wrote and he said, you know, pray without ceasing. And then he said, give thanks in all things for this is God's will for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what is happening, give thanks. It is God's will no matter what's happening in your life. God's will is to be thankful. 
God's will is to remember the good that he's done and remember what his presence in your life and be thankful for it. Give thanks. It's God's will. In Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about living a spirit-filled life, living a life controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit, he talks about how we should sing and speak psalms to one another and we should encourage one another. And then he talks about how you should make melody in your heart to the Lord. You should walk around just with a sort of a song in your heart, worshiping and admiring God. And then he says, giving thanks to him continually. That's a spirit-filled life that is thankful. It's in communion with God and it's, it's, it's focused on what he's done. The, the New Testament over a hundred times Talks about being thankful and being grateful. One book, the book of Colossians, it's a very short book with four chapters. It talks about being thankful five times. One is in verse 12 of Colossians 1. He says, Give thanks joyfully to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Man, give thanks joyfully. God has qualified you, He has made you fit for His kingdom and His blessings. Give thanks joyfully. As it continues in chapter 2, he talks about how we should, uh, as we've received Christ the Lord, we should walk in him. We should live out what we believe. As I've received Christ as my Lord, I should live it. And then he talks about how you should do it. You should be strengthened. You should be built up. You should be strengthened in your faith. And then he says, giving thanks continually. In other words, he's talking about what should be ruling in my heart. If I want to live out what I believe, there's two things that have to be happening. There's got to be a strengthening going on in my life, but there's also got to be a thankfulness and a gratitude so that my, my worship and my lifestyle is an internal lifestyle. In chapter 3 and in verse 15, he talks about let the peace of Christ rule over your hearts and be thankful. And what he's talking about is our relationships with one another. Be, to get along with one another, to have peaceful relationships, to have harmonious relationships, to walk together and not be fractured and broken in our relationships. He says, let peace kind of be the umpire over your life. And he says, you do that by having and cultivating a grateful heart and a grateful life. In Colossians 3, verse 17, he says, whatever you do, do with all your heart unto the Lord, giving thanks to God through Him. What he's saying there is whatever you're doing in life, whatever your work is, whatever your job is, whatever you are doing, do it with all your heart. Do it passionately. Do it effectively. Do it as the best you can. And in, in doing so, you're just telling God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for my gifts. Thank you for my talents. Thank you for the ability to work. Thank you for how I can contribute to society and be paid. Thank you for the opportunity to prepare myself for a great future by going to school. And he says, whatever you're doing like that, whatever endeavor, whatever work, do it with all your heart. Do it enthusiastically. And that's a great way to tell God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he goes on in chapter 4, he talks about being devoted to prayer and in it being thankful. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, there is a real powerful emphasis put on gratitude and thankfulness. And it's particularly important 
when we're going through times that are tough and difficult, and that difficulty is being elongated. To be grateful, to be thankful, is such a healthy disposition. What happens when we're thankful? What happens when we're grateful? What happens when we cultivate this in our lives? I want to show you a story. It's in the Bible. You're probably going to be fairly familiar with it. It's in Luke chapter 17. Let me read it to you, and I want to just close with a thought that I think is in this passage that will hopefully speak to us. Luke chapter 17, we're going to look at verse 11. Luke's writing, he's remembering this story, and he says, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Verse 14, when, they saw, when he saw them, he said, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went... They were cleansed. Verse 15, one came back when he saw he was healed, and he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And this particular guy, it says here, he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said, rise and go I want you to make note of this. Your faith has made you well. And the King James will say, your faith has made you whole. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on this story. If you read earlier in, this, in, in the gospel in Luke chapter 5, Jesus actually had already healed somebody with leprosy. It was a man that was covered in leprosy. And Jesus went over to him and he laid his hands on him and healed him. Now, let me tell you a little bit about leprosy and, and its role uh, back in the ancient days, leprosy could refer to pretty much any skin disease, any bad rash that somebody could get, any very dry skin that would spread and get very red and would swell could be leprosy. But there were also leprosies that were deadly. There were leprosies that affected the nerves and got into the nerves uh, that were sort of like a, a and again, hate to gross you out this early in the morning, but it, it would be like a flesh-eating bacteria that would get in somebody's skin. And it would actually begin to rot away people's extremities, their ears, their fingers, their, their lips. It could be a very, very cruel disease. I don't know if you remember the, the movie Braveheart. Anybody see the movie Braveheart? William Watt? Remember, remember the, the king's dad who was, had leprosy and how he's he was swelled, and he had the, the lesions all over his face. That's what leprosy could do. It would make your, your, your body insensitive. You could, your nerves would no longer work, and your, you know, your extremities would begin to fall off, and you'd rot, and people would eventually die of it. And all lepers, regardless of if they had eczema or if they had that flesh-eating disease, were all cast out of the community. They lived in their own colonies. They were called leper colonies. They were all together there. And so sometimes these very bad skin diseases would spread to the ones that weren't so severe. So being a leper colony was not a good place to be. Uh, you were poor. You were neglected. People would come and bring food to you. You couldn't work. You couldn't gather. You couldn't go get food. Very tough thing. And so Jesus is traveling, and he's on the border of two, of two providences. One is Samaria, and one is Judea. 
<clears throat> now let me give you a little bit of the background of this, because you'll read this when you're reading in the New Testament. It kind of help you understand some of these, the, the background of this. Years and years ago in Israel, they became a united monarchy under King David. And they were doing great. And then David's son Solomon took it over, and the kingdom did even better. It was going fabulous until one day there was a split. Solomon was going sideways, and there was a split. And the nation of Israel had basically 12 tribes that you might think of as 12 counties or 12 states. And what happened with the split is 10 went to the north, and they became Israel. The, the other two went to the south, and they became Judah. So you had ten here, two here. And if you read history, David was from Judah. He was from this area. And so they sort of kept a little more of the, the original faith. They, the temple was in Jerusalem, which was in Judah. And it was a, they, they just had, as their history went on, they had more kings that were good. They didn't have many, but they had a little more of a, positive thing. Samaria just went, I mean, Israel, the northern kingdom went totally bad. And its capital was called Samaria. <coughs> and it was conquered in 722 by an Assyrian king called Sennacherib. He came down to try to conquer Babylon and he, excuse me, to conquer Judah. And he was, he failed. And so Judah, Judah continued. Samaria became sort of a area where People from outside of Judaism and outside of Israel would come, and, and they cohabitated. And so there was a lot of cohabitating going on between what were Israelites and other nations. So Sumerians became to be known as sort of a half-breed. They were original Israelites, but they had mixed their race, their nationality. Judah was understood to be pure. When Judah was conquered by Babylon in 586, they were exiled. And when they were in exile, they began to call them Jews because they were from Judah. That's how that name got up. So when you're reading the Bible in the New Testament, it talks about Judah, Judea, Samaria, Jews, Samaritans. This is what the background of that is. So what would happen is basically, let me tell you how I said all that, is the general mindset of the people who were Jews was the Samaritans were just sort of, they were off. They were kind of there, but they were off. And there was a lot of animosity with them. It would be not too dissimilar to how, particularly years ago, Catholics and Protestants might view themselves. Say, well, it's Christianity. I remember growing up in my Protestant church, we basically felt Catholics were not really Christians. I know that's not true. Forgive me if you're Catholic. But that's just kind of how that was framed, but it, was, it would sort of be like that. I'm trying to think of a way to understand it. Anyways, these guys were all lepers together, and the Jews, where Jesus was from, sort of had a sort of disparaging view of the Samaritans. So what happens, all these people come, these ten lepers, they couldn't get close to Jesus, they're far off, and they're, they're from a far distance, are screaming at him, and they say, Jesus, can you heal us? And he says, sure, go show yourselves to the priest and you'll be healed. So basically, back in those days, if you had leprosy, the only way you could come out of that colony is if a priest inspected you, looked you over, saw that all your disease was gone, and he would pronounce you clean. So as they're going to go see the priest, these ten lepers, they suddenly realize, oh my goodness, my leprosy's gone. Jesus did heal me. And they 
were just ecstatic, and they probably ran and couldn't wait to go see the priest and be released from their exile and be able to go reunite with their family and their friends. But there was one guy in the group who had suffered through leprosy like the rest of them. Probably had his ears eaten up, his nose, his fingers, his digits were marred just like theirs were. And he was cleansed. The leprosy was gone. And what he did, instead of just going to the priest and getting on with his life and just acting like this is great, he actually went back to Jesus. He started thanking God, and he fell at his feet and began to worship him. And Jesus saw this happening, and he looked at the audience that was with him, and he said, hey, you know, remember, there were ten lepers. All ten were healed. Only one came back and said, thanks. Only one really, really was deeply moved enough to be grateful, to be thankful. And this guy gets up, and Jesus says something to him. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Now think about that picture. Ten lepers came to Jesus. Lesions on their body. Their skin, their digits marred. Their ears, their nose marred by this disease. They go, and while they're going, they're cleansed. But you know what's left? The repercussions of leprosy. Ears probably still messed up. Noses disfigured. Digits gone. But this one guy comes back. And Jesus says, you know what gratitude does? Gratitude isn't just about healing. You're made whole. Fingers back. Ears back. Nose back. Completely restored. He was grateful, and because of his gratitude, and because of the way he expressed gratitude, he received a miracle the others didn't receive. He wasn't just cleansed. He was actually restored. He was made whole. And what this story is illustrating to us is it's a story I hope we'll take to heart. Gratitude to God restores. It makes whole. It brings back to where things intended to be. It makes salvation complete. And it makes it full. And it is wonderful that Jesus has cleansed me and you of our leprosy. He has cleansed us of our sin. That he has wiped it out. That, it is no, that we can be declared clean and free. But it's ingratitude. It's when we go back to him. It's when we continue to be before him and, we are at, and our heart is in a place of thankfulness. We remember grace. We remember what he's done for us. In that posture, something, more, something deeper and more powerful continues to happen. We are made whole. We are restored. We are healed. We experience our salvation to its fullest, most possible extent. This is my just message for you this morning. To be grateful.
to cultivate gratitude. Cultivate gratitude toward God. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, to really see the, the provision and the goodness of God that He has provided for us. And let that become more dominant in our emotions than the difficulty we're facing and the trouble and the trial we're facing. Let it become more dominant. And what we'll see is that in whatever we're going through, man, we'll become whole. We'll become restored. We'll experience salvation in deeper, more powerful and profound ways than we ever could have imagined. Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that what the psalmist said in 136 is true. You're good. You're a good God. It is an incredible thing that the most extraordinary being in existence has chosen us, has revealed himself to us, has removed the barriers from us having a relationship with him, and we are so thankful for salvation. We're so, so thankful to be connected to a being like you. It's a, it, is, it is the peak of life. And I pray it would never become anything less than that. Something that we didn't earn, something that we didn't bring about, something we didn't win. It was a complete gift because you're good, not because we're good. And we're very thankful. Unite our hearts, Lord, to be grateful, to be thankful, to love you, to, to, to have a, a gratitude that binds us to you in devotion, that binds us to one another, that binds us to your purposes, that we'd never let go of. Lord, we love you. We pray as we go into this holiday season and we just are, are leaving the... the uh, the cloud of this pandemic as a, as a country, as a people. Lord, help us to go, to, to, to exit it with gratitude, being thankful for who you are, for what we have, and to move forward in, in a way that is glorifying to you and is centered on you and is, is uh, uh, respectful of Christ and his death. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.